National Security This Week, a weekly look at American national security issues. And now, your host, John Olson. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to National Security This Week. We get together here on KYMN Radio each Wednesday morning to discuss national security. We're joined each week by guests from our local area, from around Minnesota, and from across the nation to help us explore challenges in national security. And some days we even have guests from around the world, which is the case for today. Back in July and August, we discussed transnational organized crime. I mentioned then that we'd be doing a multi-part exploration of that topic. And if you recall, the last guest we had on was Professor Federico Varese from Oxford University. And we'll continue that discussion today on this show. Our guest today is Mark Shaw, and I promise you this is going to be an interesting show, so turn up your volume. Mark Shaw is the director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. He was previously the National Research Foundation Professor of Justice and Security at the University of Cape Town in the Department of Criminology. Mark worked for 10 years at the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, UNODC, including as interregional advisor, chief of the Criminal Justice Reform Unit, and with the Global Program Against Transnational Organized Crime with extensive field work. Before joining the U.N., Mark held a number of positions in the South African government and civil society where he worked on issues of public safety and urban violence in the post-apartheid transition. Mark Shaw holds a Ph.D. from the University of Witwatersrand in Johannesburg and has published widely on organized crime, security, and justice reform issues. Mark Shaw, welcome to National Security This Week. Thanks very much, John. And where are you today? I'm in uh, Vienna, Austria today, actually. And, and, and how, how is living in Vienna as a South African? <laughs> uh, I, have, I work for the UN here, so I've uh, lived here on and off for, for over a decade. Um, it's very good. I have no complaints. Thank you. <laughs> so, Mark, let's go ahead and get started. There's a lot to cover today. Uh, I want to start a little bit on your personal background, if that's okay, before we get into our discussions on the Global Initiative. Uh, so sure. what drew you to the study of, of public safety issues? You, you clearly spent a, a good part of your professional c- career on criminal justice-related topics. Uh, what's the fascination for you on, on this area of study? It, uh, hard to say, a little bit by accident at the beginning. <laughs> uh, um, I, I graduated just before the sort of core South African transition, and I joined a research program on peacemaking. And from there, I, I joined what was a fairly unique organization called the National Peace Secretariat, and I began my career as a, as a so-called violence monitor. And our, our, our job was to the peace secretary. It was a mandated body agreed to by all parties. And um, the, the South African transition, although, you know, is often referred to as a miracle, was, was also had extreme levels of violence in particular places, notably Gauteng, KwaZulu-Natal. And, and my job was to monitor police action, monitor marches, monitor violence. And so out of that a sort of came my my interest. I, I worked in the Ministry of Police for a while, um, uh, and and in a number of other places, and and then uh, 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 joined a program funded by the Ford Foundation on crime and policing in transitional societies, and had this unbelievable opportunity to travel all over the world to examine how tr- political transitions at the time. If you recall, this was in the you know mid nineteen nineties. Yeah later 1990s, how that impacted on crime and organized crime, crime, et cetera. And then I joined the UN for a long time, as you mentioned. 
Yeah, that, that, that period was a, a, a period of significant transition in a lot of places around the world uh, from coming out from the Cold War and uh, freedom was uh, was uh, w- was offering its opportunities <laughs> to lots of countries yeah. that had never had it before. And uh, in confusion, there is profit, right? In confusion, there is profit. So yeah. you worked at the U.S. Those transi- Go ahead. Sorry. Go for it, John. Yeah. And those transitions produced what I would argue would be the first wave of sort of post-Cold War organized crime, including in South Africa, not always initially recognized as such, often recognized too late. uh, uh, But I think that was very much the case. Yeah. So you worked uh, at the United Nations uh, for the UN Office on Drugs and Crime, UNODC. Uh, What what did you learn during those years uh, about this issue of of transnational organized crime? Uh, I had the opportunity, John, to travel widely to actually pretty much every conflict zone in the world at the time, many other countries working on criminal justice issues, etc. I guess, uh, I mean, a couple of things. The first is the importance in my view, and, and although I'm a kind of critical of the multilateral system, the importance still of the, of the UN in setting a set of global standards around which countries uh, strive to to obtain, and I think that remain that sort of normative function remains very critical, including in the in the case of organized crime, the UN Convention Against Transnational Organized Crime, but also the huge importance of political will, the 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 degree to which states themselves often criminalize, didn't live up to the expectations of what they had signed, the real challenges of of attempting to make sure that that uh, states and often uh, hard-working, honest law enforcement people and others, uh, how they engage in, in, the, in the context of, of, of corrupted states. And one of the issues which became central to my own thinking around leaving the, the UN and, and doing other things was the sense that the information about organized crime, the, the real political economy of organized crime, was simply not present in the UN system and couldn't be present because of the interests of member states, et cetera. Yeah. And, and out of that was the segue into, into the global initiative. You know, I'll, I'll draw a, uh, a, a comparison for you, and that's uh, in the United Nations, uh, there is no accepted definition of what terrorism is. <laughs> and part of that is yeah. that there's a lot of governments who, who don't want to uh, – adhere to some international standard on, on what that means, because then they can't support whoever they deem to be freedom fighters. And I suspect that there are probably a lot of governments out there that are hesitant uh, to come to the table and solidify uh, some of the international uh, rules on uh, on illicit economies, because there's benefits that are widely held by some members of some governments in some places around the world. So... Is that a fair, interesting fair comparison? You, yeah, it's interesting you talk definitions, because... In the negotiations in in the UN, there's no definition of organized crime either. Um, And in fact, I I must say personally, I prefer the term illicit economy, as we may explore. There is an agreement on what an organized crime group is, which is a very, you know, high level definition. You know, you, me, someone else acting in concert over over a period of time. Um, uh, But definitional issues around what we are talking about have sort of plagued uh, at least the multilateral discussion on 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 organized crime. Uh, so, Mark, you're in a leadership role now, uh, serving as the director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Uh, and and I, I tend to like to 
ask leadership questions for, for, of people who are in leadership roles. Uh, so what, what kind of leadership style do you employ to lead a non-governmental organization focused on such a politically sensitive set of issues? I mean, I have to imagine that uh, most nations feel that law enforcement is their, their role and not the role of an independent civil society group. I mean, we we're a fairly large organization in in sort of think tank terms now. So we have over eighty staff, and and literally a network of hundreds in in the field. So around eighty core analytical staff spread over six or seven uh, locations. Um, I think the important thing. Uh, uh, your question is very interesting. They, they, and having managed people in government and the UN, the important thing about a think tank civil society organization is people are there because they want to make a difference. And and one of the management challenges is to capture that. And and I don't want to say it's it's it, it's to bring all those energies together. Um, uh, it's it's a very uh, dedicated and and clever group of people. We think we are doing cutting-edge work by taking granular information from around the world, uh, showing the political economy of organized crime, publishing it. Uh, There are security concerns for our staff, as you can imagine. Um, So what I've increasingly got into, I I must say, is I'm doing a lot of fundraising, setting the vision of the organization, uh, sadly, doing less writing myself, but simply because I'm I'm a, a very busy and a, I'm not sure management is the right word, but leadership, um, and and providing the framework within which others are are growing. Uh, many young people, but we have a core group of of middle level analysts uh, uh, doing doing amazing work around the world. In relation to your second question, which is. I, 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 you know, the organization was formed by an original group of 27 odd law enforcement officers. And, and they were, for, they, they, you know, they, their view was that there wasn't enough strategic information on, on organized crime, firstly. And secondly, that many of them had been engaged in programs to strengthen institutions against organized crime outside of developed states, so West Africa or, or, or wherever. And they were deeply frustrated with the results. Mm. And, and one of the reasons for that was a lack of political will. What were they doing wrong? A lack of understanding of what was going on. And law enforcement institutions are often driven by individual cases rather than, a, a, if you like, a strategic picture of organized crime. Mm-hmm. So out of that grew this idea of a platform to do analysis, to bring people together, to grow a network, um, and we fund over a hundred civil society organizations around the world doing uh, building resilience to to organized crime so this this idea that that a the role of civil society in responding to organized crime is new I think is not quite the case. You are right, some member states don 't want independent uh, authorities looking at organized crime, but we see our role as really uh, threefold firstly providing strategic information on organized crime. And if you look on our website, there's 60-odd reports a year. Most of what we're doing is is public, not all of it. Uh, Sometimes we use reports for engagement. Um, Secondly, we are engaging with network members and, and, as I said, funding smaller civil society organizations, whether they're doing gang interruption or supporting victims of trafficking, etc. Their information is very good. They often see the impact of organized crime every day, much more so than states. So to bring those people into national and and, and global discussions, um, I I think is, is very important. 
And and thirdly, I think to make better policy around organized crime, it's wrong to think that states have the answers alone. Mm-hmm. And and so we see ourselves as a as uh, challenging prevailing notions, presenting, engaging. Um, and as we've grown, and, it's, and, and as you can tell from, from the work that we are doing, we are engaging widely across the world with regional organizations, with police agencies, with uh, security structures, um, in different ways, in briefings. Uh, and we don't always claim to be in agreement, but we hope to bring new forms of information and new approaches to, to responding to organized crime. Okay. Uh, so for our audience, uh, you are listening to KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Mark Shaw, the director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Uh, so, Mark, my, my question had been about, about leadership, uh, your leadership style. Uh, you mar- remarked that, uh, you know, <clears throat> you, you spend all your time doing the leadership role, not as much time doing the writing these days. And, and what you just outlined for us, Frankly, I've always felt is is a is an important role for a leader, and that is to give a vision to the members of the organization and to the external consumers of what that organization does on, on the importance of the work you are doing, uh, which helps concentrate uh, the members of your organization on that mission. And uh, you, you talked about you you have a lot of very talented people that working on in the global initiative, uh, and that you have to sort of guide them, get you know align them with their interests and let them uh, let them take charge, move out, and, and accomplish their mission. So the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime, uh, who, who are your partners uh, out there in the world, as an example? Uh, you mentioned that a little bit. There's, there's government entities. There's law enforcement entities. Can you give us some sort of a, a little bit more clarity on who the partners are that you work with? Sure. I would say there are sort of three or four layers of partners. Okay. The, the first is is the original founding idea of the organization was a sort of network against networks. So this network of legitimacy against networks of illegitimacy. And the idea was that many people were working on organized crime from journalists reporting on it to academics, to civil society actors, to politicians, to local government officials, to police law enforcement. The list is very, very long. Uh, um, in fact, it's not uh, simply, you know, organized, anti-organized crime specialized units that are dealing with it. And if it is, then, then often success is rather small. Yeah. So we have a network now of 550 odd uh, people uh, on our website, you can see the different, you know, where they come from, what their expertise is. That network continues to grow. And that network is basically the AGM of the organization. They, they appoint a board to whom I uh, report as the director. And then uh, the secretary obviously is, is, is working um, and, under my leadership, so to speak. Um, so that's really, that network is crucial for us. They're our constituency and they're a very interesting crowd of people, you know, from former DEA officers to, you know, people uh, who've written widely on organized crime groups in 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 uh, in, in multiple places to development actors to uh, politicians. It's a it, it, and when they come together, there's a richness of of debate. Mm-hmm. The second layer for us is is civil society organizations. I've mentioned we are we are funding a large number, but beyond that, we are talking and engaging with 
the most amazing array of people, whether it's the, the mothers of the disappeared in Mexico, which indeed we, we have funded, uh, whether it's uh, uh, people building resilience in their communities uh, where, where gold is being exploited by criminal groups, whether it's people doing undercover investigations on wildlife, etc. The plethora of people working on organized crime external to the state is enormous. And so we see that very much as our constituency um, we work with those people, share, they, they're happy to have a, an international connection in many cases. Uh, they are eager to share examples. They are often very localized. Many of the people we are dealing with would never be able to raise money per se. They don't have a bank account. Uh, some of them have now have, uh, in, you know, given the projects that, that, uh, that we are supporting. But just to highlight this diversity of, of people. And then we have a lot of government partners. So either people in development agencies supporting us in governments where we work, uh, in, in critical relationships that we, that we may have, trying to find people of integrity in, 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 in governments working on organized crime. And one of the things we see as very important is to bridge the divide between uh, uh, civil society and, and government actors. And, and that's, there's often this stark difference in, 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 in different places. But our vision is, is really to say that organized crime, particularly in its diversity, John, you know, well away from just drug trafficking to gold, to cyber, to wildlife. I mean, you just name it, the number of markets, sand, water, that law enforcement is simply not a solution, yeah. can't be a solution. Yeah. And and you need a diversity of actors. And and frankly, some solutions are political, some are regulatory, uh, some relate to you know changing economic patterns, um, and 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 to bring people together to 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 think around how we can respond more effectively is our is our vision, and to draw lessons from that. And fundamentally, to, to say that nobody has been capturing the lessons of ordinary people, community groups, etc., who are engaged at local level, and we see that very much as our role. Uh, I do want to uh, jump into specifics of the global initiative, some of the regions around the world that you work. But uh, I, I would like to bring up very quickly one of the things that we <clears throat> that we know from economics, right? Economics one hundred and one is that incentives drive behavior. So however the incentives are built into the system, whether it be through legislation or a regulatory framework or whatever, that tends to drive opportunity for either uh, <clears throat> acceptable economic activity or illicit economies uh, like, like you study. Uh, it, it, is, that, is that something that your organization looks at as uh, sort of the – the incentives that are built into the systems that allow illicit economies to flourish or to be created in the first place? Absolutely. And a lot of our analysts, and of course, myself included, are, are very eager to look at organized crime through a political economy model. And to make the point that incentives for illicit activities are very, very strong in, in some places, much stronger than, than the, the counter incentives provided only by, by law enforcement. And I think the argument could be that, in fact, some of those incentives are created by structures of markets, sometimes reinforced by law enforcement. If you, for example, uh, uh, um, I, I'm not questioning, I, I think we can go into this debate in much greater detail, but if you raise the barriers 
for for people to cross borders for example you create markets for organized crime uh, um and and you raise the incentives for people uh, to be present and so our uh, in in a in a criminal network and to make money uh, uh, from from these things on the issue of incentives and studying organized crime from a more economic perspective we feel strongly since the founding that the that we are short on data and that a lot of opportunities have been missed on pricing commodities on pricing protection on pricing corruption and and using that data gathering that data using that data as a, as a as a sort of measure of success so as a as a if you like a think tank i would argue the largest collection of individual analysts perhaps outside of government working on organized crime some of those issues are 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 particularly in, in important for us and in our engagement with uh, people in the private sector governments civil society etc the idea of well how can you erode, erode the incentives what can you do in terms of a package of policy measures mm-hmm. including law enforcement uh, to to ta- to change the sort of economic um incentive package for organized crime uh, so if we could, let's go ahead and, and jump into sort of the regional uh, areas where uh, the Global Initiative works. Um, and, and if we could uh, maybe spend a couple of minutes talking about each one of them, you could tell us a little sure. bit about what the focus is in that particular area, uh, successes or, or challenges that your organization faces in, in succeeding in those areas. And we'll start with uh, the, the Organized Crime Observatory for, for North Africa and the Sahel. Uh, what, what's happening in that region? And just to say, an observatory, very briefly, is a is a core group of analysts and network of people on the ground, and and a range of civil society organisations. And as we go through them, they have different strengths and and focus areas. In North Africa and the Sahel, we are focused um, on, in particular, the migrant smuggling economy, and we have done uh, for a long time. If you if you look on on our website, so trafficking prices, uh, we have a very uh, good network on the ground looking at the movement of people through the Sahel, through Libya. Um, that remains our focus. We uh, look at the issue of drug trafficking through the Sahel and North Africa, uh, also illicit pharmaceuticals um, along the North African coast. Um, we have historically had a very good uh, analytical team and footprint in Libya. So this connection between conflict, militia, small arms, um, and, and organized crime uh, in this particular region is a is a is a key uh, focus for us. And then, uh, how about uh, next? Let's take a look at the the observatory, uh, as you mentioned, for illicit economies in in southeastern Europe. That's based out of Vienna, where, where I am now. Okay. Also has a, a a fabulous team, and then we have people in each of the six uh, Western Balkan uh, states. Uh, this is a, you know, the Western Balkans is a very interesting place given, uh, you know, histories of, of uh, state, uh, state overlays with, uh, with criminal groups. So, you know, the team is very much focused on, in, in this region, sort of organized corruption, if you like, this, uh, um, the, the overlays between criminal networks on the ground and, and, uh, and state procurement, uh, mafia-style groups in particular cities. We've done a range of hotspot reports, uh, the, the role of cocaine coming into the region and, and you know, from Latin America in, into the Western Balkans and then into Europe. Uh, the, the region as a pathway for heroin, uh, the, the region 
looking at, at a number of other crimes around, you know, resource exploitation um, and the like. You know, just reflecting personally, the, the, the quality of the civil society actors in this region is, is very high. Um, uh, the challenges are, are I, I would say, enormous, but the possibilities for cooperating with individual states, I think, has improved and, and, and grown over time. So we are particularly proud of, of the work we do here. We are publishing regular updates on a range of markets. If you look on the website, as, as well as a series of hotspot reports, that will continue as our, as our network and our group of analysts in, in this region grows. Uh, and let's move now to uh, to East and Southern Africa. Uh, what, what are you focusing on down in those those areas? And this is, of course, my home region. So I'm uh, I could uh, talk your whole radio show about <laughs> this. Uh, uh, I'll I'll try to be disciplined. We have a very active program out of Nairobi, uh, Johannesburg, uh, Cape Town. Uh, we are focusing at the moment on. Uh, issues in particular down the east coast of Africa, so looking at heroin trafficking uh, and the trafficking of synthetics uh, from Afghanistan, both uh, down the east coast of Africa, uh, Cape Town, Johannesburg, Durban, these are uh, uh, places where there's, you know, drug markets, high levels of violence. In this region, we have pioneered for us a, a project on recording assassinations, so assassinations in criminal markets, in politics, in business, um, in, in, in South Africa. Uh, we are looking very closely at the issue of the crossover between the insurgency in northern Mozambique mm. um, and illicit markets. Uh, we are really have a very courageous group of journalists and civil society activists looking at, at, at issues of uh, a state involvement, of police corruption, the taxi industry. I, I know it may sound strange <laughs> to people outside, but the sort of minibus taxi industry in South Africa and Kenya uh, historically has sort of mafia-style uh, attributes, um, and, and we, are, we are covering all of that in detail. We have a gang mapping project in, in, in Cape Town, um, and we have a very uh, interesting... Uh, programs around civil society. So during COVID, some of our partners um, provided feeding schemes for ordinary people because otherwise gangs were providing food. And, mm -hmm. and so this this issue of symbolic legitimacy of who governs, who controls, right. um, we we were attempting to respond to on the ground. So I, I find that comment uh, or that discussion interesting because one of the things that we know that insurgencies try to accomplish is to replace civil authority with their own governance structure. Uh, sometimes you see that with uh, with organized crime groups. Uh, the uh, was it the Shan United Army in uh, Myanmar uh, did that to a certain extent uh, as they were trafficking uh, heroin out of out of the Golden Triangle. Uh, they established their own governance structure. So you're talking about sort of the similar. Uh, efforts on the part of organized crime uh, in this part of the world as well, establishing their own governance structure to replace what would theoretically be the elected government officials. How, how about, uh, so we we hear all the time in the news about poaching uh, and whatnot. How, how much of a, of a challenge is uh, trafficking in, in wildlife uh, in, in this particular region? I mean, to be frank, an enormous challenge because, uh, not for any other reason than, you know, some of the global stocks of wildlife uh, um, are in Eastern and Southern Africa. You talk 
talk about in a powerful pool of markets in Asia for these commodities markets um, in, in places like the Kruger Park over preceding years. I mean, you've, you've had a low level insurgency between um, uh, poachers and, and the, the park authorities, the eating into the system of, of corruption, uh, very sophisticated networks of, of, uh, of moving wildlife products. Our work shows how the wildlife markets have moved. You know, the, you could call it almost commodity skipping um, from, uh, you know, rhino horn to, to lion bones to hippo teeth to a, a range of, of, uh, of uh, other wildlife commodities. COVID led to a sort of disruption of the market, but it's quickly reestablished itself primarily to, to Vietnam, China, Hong Kong, etc. Um, uh, so, Here's a classic case, you know, we, we talked about incentives earlier, John. Here's a classic case where in the end, you cannot only, res- you, you can control, you know, for a period of time using armed force, et cetera. But in, in the end, you, you, you need longer term solutions, uh, of course, which have been widely discussed. And, and we have a, a very prominent expert on, on rhino horn in our organization um, to, to change patterns of incentives uh, to try and reduce demand um none of uh, none of which is is uh, easy if you look on our website we are publishing six uh, market reports uh, we have uh, one if it's not out it's coming out soon on on cheetahs uh, we we are looking at great apes um uh, rhino horn abalone etc uh, etc et there's a convergence between some of these markets notably abalone which is a kind of mollusk and and drags um uh so you know, it seems to me that we're in an age where both natural resources are, you know, the grey and illicit economy is literally hoovering these things up at, at, uh, at, and our capacity to respond is not always particularly strong, partly because of corruption within uh, state institutions. And so the very real challenge of building institutions which are not corrupt, uh, the wildlife market, if I, if I can say that precisely because states do not always prioritize this, have very active civil society engagement. Okay. Um, whether that's kind of private security vigilante style uh, ranging to a number of experimental, uh, um, you know, whether it's a, a attempting to poison rhino horn or, or whatever the case Um here in particular, because states are, are less present, there's, a, there's an enormous diversity of, of, of civil society actors. Just to come back to your earlier question, you know, you, you, why civil society? Why non-state actors being involved in, in, in areas where ordinarily you would thought would have been um, the, the state's responsibility? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people do not realize uh, that linkage between the, uh, the illicit wildlife trade uh, and organized crime and funding for uh, insurgent movements and violence uh, in different places around the world. It's a it's a terrible tragedy, and like we ta- like you mentioned, it's a it's a bad set of incentives that are in place right now that uh, that drive that uh, that illicit uh, economy. Uh, let's shift now, if we could, to, to Latin America. That's a little that's a little closer to home for most Americans. Is thinking about what happens in Latin America and certainly in in Mexico. Uh, what 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 is uh, the global initiative working on in in that region? John Latin America for us is uh, firstly we 
our, our strength, we grew out of Africa in a way. And, and so we have quite a lot going on in Latin America. But the first point to say is, of course, there's a, there's a large number of actors or were a large number of actors present already, you know, academics, civil society groups, local observatories, uh, um, uh, you know, courageous journalists, many of whom have been targeted. We're doing a number of things. We have our, our, our focus is in uh, in Central America. We have a very big project on extortion um, in the Central American uh, Triangle states. We uh, have priced extortion. We have brought uh, civil society groups together with government. Um, we have raised uh, um, and, and worked on strategies to to respond, in particular, to to gang related extortion. In the Andean region, we are doing some uh, city security related work. Uh, we have partners in Brazil and we have published um, in particular uh, uh, on, uh, I should have said so a little bit at the beginning, the, you know, a, a number of target states for us, Mexico, Brazil, South Africa, the Philippines, sort of middle income states, Kenya with uh, Nigeria, particular challenges of organized crime. So again, if you if you look at our outputs and and uh, and what we're doing, you will see a focus on on uh, on these states. I think in the longer term, we have a very active group of Latin American members. We are very eager also to learn from the experiences of Latin Americans, uh, particularly in relation to urban security and the role of civil society. I think there are important lessons. Uh, the level of violence, as you know, in Latin American cities is is uh, extraordinary. Yeah. That matches, uh, for example, South African experience, and 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 you know the conditions are the same: high levels of inequality, and then uh, homicides or murders per hundred thousand. So, our focus is very much in in this uh, um, uh, area. We have a, we have staff in Mexico. And they have uh, uh, focused on on issues of assassinations and and, and violence in particular. And, and uh, I should say, uh, uh, and when we are supporting a lot of quite local uh, civil society activity. Okay, and then uh, we'll we'll do one more region, and then and then we'll have to move on from this. But what about the Asia Pacific uh, observatories? Anything you'd like to tell us about about that region? Yeah, very briefly. That's relatively new for us. However, we are now. Uh, um, uh, quite deeply engaged in Southeast Asia. We have uh, several reports coming. We are supporting uh, local civil society. The space for civil society in the wider Asian Asian region is not as open uh, mm-hmm. as as it is, uh, say, in Africa or, or, or Latin America. Um, so our, our program continues to grow there. We are very interested in the flows from Africa to Asia, and uh, we are focused on that. We have active work in South Asia. In particular, we have a very good uh, partner in Pakistan um, and, and, a, and a very useful program in, in Pakistan. Um, we hope to build our Central Asia capacity and our West Asia capacity where we have done some work, Lebanon, Syria, etc. You know, I, I, I we talked about the sort of leadership vision. I've almost been saying to people, let's not grow too fast because there's <laughs> clearly a need for a, a range of reporting and engagement. And and uh, but but in the last year, year and a half, our, our Asia team is several people. They are very engaged um, with uh, some exceptional people on the ground, and and we we hope that I, I'm pretty sure that that will continue as we go forward. Uh, so for our audience, you're listening to KYMN Radio AM 1080 and FM 95.1. This is National Security This Week, and I'm your host, John Olson. Our guest today is Mark Shaw, the director of the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. 
Uh, so, Mark, uh, we've talked about, about a lot of the regional work that uh, that the Global Initiative is working on and a wide range of, of criminal uh, challenges, illicit economies that have been created. Uh, which of the which of the criminal enterprises do you think is does the most damage, and, and why? Is it arms trafficking, drug trafficking, trafficking in human beings, or something else altogether? I mean, what do you think are maybe the top three? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. We we are about to publish um, a global organized crime index, which we've worked on for years, and and we've had a team of five people working on it, and. Interestingly, I, I don't want to give too much away because it's a, <laughs> it's an enormous <laughs> product. But out of that, uh, um, we look at the impact of of a, a a a number of markets, and I think the you know what one of those that comes out on top is human trafficking in terms of just impact and and and, and damage, mm-hmm. um, followed by arms trafficking, uh, um, which uh, is. Uh, diverse, complicated to understand, of course, um, and this and we have been we've been doing assessments by country and then bringing them them all together. Uh, then then fauna, so wildlife trafficking, what we've spoken about more broadly and its impact globally, and then in in, in you know the drug markets are there. But in many countries, the, the drug markets are not the key issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, synthetic drugs has grown quite dramatically on. On, uh, on on our, um, if you like, measure. And to answer your question, you know, those are a number of markets. The countries that are, that are doing the worst on the index um, are those which have a diversity of markets. It comes through very, very clearly. Mm. Um, and, and that's often not their fault. You know, a country like the DRC, which is an enormous yeah. uh, global, a, a normal geographic area with a large number of natural resources, wildlife, um, uh, you know, uh, also drug-using populations, etc., does badly. You know, South Africa doesn't do brilliantly. Nigeria doesn't do brilliantly. Brazil doesn't do brilliantly. Why? Because they have this plethora of of markets uh, which intertwine and 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 reinforce I- each other, and so it's important that while we look at individual markets in a lot of our work, as you can see, when you look at the political economy of organised crime in any geographic space, you see the intertwining of of uh, of commodity markets, and you know the the same groups or networks involved. Um, they are not always mafia groups, but you know the the the, the index itself has four categorizations of, of of criminal groups. The role of state actors as vectors in in organized crime is 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 uh, hugely important. So you know just to to summarize, what's happened since two thousand is this enormous diversification of of, of criminal markets. A, a very good example is sand. You know the you know the, the, the mafiaization of the sand economy. Why? Because of the the, the need for for building um, and and the particular type of sand that is needed from riverbeds, etc. Yeah. But also the diversification of criminal style groups, networks, state involvement. So this idea that sort of the the equivalent of the Italian mafia just grew and and, and caused uh, uh, organized crime is is not what has happened. It's yeah. a sort of global expansion of markets and complex and overlapping networks, all driven by incentives. <laughs> Correct. So, uh, Mark, we just have a, a couple of minutes left. Uh, what else would you like our listeners to know about the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime? 
Uh, I'm sure I failed to cover a couple of important questions, maybe multiple important questions. Uh, what, what else would you like to tell us about the Global Initiative? Uh, I think, John, I mean, I think it's an innovative attempt to look at organized crime differently, precisely because it's us coming with a degree of modesty about what we can achieve. It's bringing multiple different disciplines together. It's creating a strategic picture. It's attempting genuinely to reduce markets by working with, with partners. And just to get that that message home, I think that information and data and and cross-disciplinary working is key uh, to, to confronting this challenge. That organized crime is a kind of slow dripping tap, if you like. It's grown over the last decade. We just honestly don't know how bad it is until you look closely. You get sort of flares or, you know, big seizures, so many people drowned in boats, so much wildlife, but you never get a sense of the enormous damage that is being done globally by incentivized criminal economies. And and our focus is to bring that to the attention um, of as many people as we can and to try to do something about it. Uh, so, Mark, if, if uh, listeners wanted to learn more uh, about the Global Initiative and the work that your organization does to combat transnational organized crime, uh, where can they turn for that information? What, what's your website address? So it's uh, www.globalinitiative.net, uh, so all in one word, and you can mail secretariat at globalinitiative.net. Okay. Uh, Mark Shaw, thank you so much for joining us today on National Security This Week. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it too, John. Thank you. So that closes this week's edition of National Security This Week. We're on KYMN Radio, AM 1080 and FM 95.1. I'm your host, John Olson. Uh, Thank you for joining us today. I look forward to our show again next Wednesday morning at 9 a.m., and I hope you'll join us then. Have a fantastic finish to your week, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to National Security This Week, a weekly show looking into issues of American national security with the host, John Olson. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. for National Security This Week. Southern Minnesota's wildest weekend is almost here. The defeat of Jesse James Days in Northfield is September 8th through the 12th, packed with fun for the whole family. Check out the reenactment of the failed bank raid by the notorious James Younger gang back in 1876. The PRCA Professional Rodeo. Enjoy live music at the Entertainment Center. Bring the kids to the carnival. Visit the car show and so much more. Visit DJJD.org for complete event listings. The Defeat of Jesse James Day, September 8th through the 12th in Northfield. Do you have an old junker car in the garage or on the farm? Call Huber's Auto Parts in Faribault, 507-332-2300. Get the most cash for your old junker vehicle.